Why did Jesus call himself the bread of life? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are continuing this fantastic survey of Jesus' life and ministry that we have been doing, and which is a lot of fun. And we are coming up to a very interesting passage today, which we find in John chapter 6 which is Jesus' feeding of a great multitude. Now, most people, when they read it in their Bible, it's, it probably has a header that says something like, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So we're not calling it that, though, for a very specific reason, because it wasn't just 5,000. Exactly. It was it, a lot more. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So... You know, we, we, we wrestle with this when we name sessions um, in, in our content. As you mentioned, headings in the Bible, I'm looking at one right now, it says feeding the 5,000. And um, while it's understood by many people, I, I, you know, just, just be careful and just call it a multitude because it was, it was not just 5,000. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, you're like bare minimum. Let's just say that. There, like you averaged it out that there was one kid per man and woman that was present. You're talking minimum 15,000 people. Realistically, you're probably talking somewhere 2025, 20, which is yeah, a it's, lot. It's a of lot people. of people. A lot of hungry, cranky, hangry people that day. I mean, guys, if you like anyone who serves in kids' ministry knows. When 11.15, or knew, when we, you know, all were meeting consistently in person um, and giving out snacks and or and had snacks and <laughs> stuff like that that were available, you guys all know what it was like when snack time rolled around or when the, when the end of service was coming and it was almost yes. lunchtime and how hangry and irritable people were and then there were the kids <laughs> exactly so my sweet daughter hannah came home the other day from gymnastics practice mm -hmm. and she was that when she was starving and she was not in the mood i was like oh so of course she and my wife called me out on the hypocrisy because that's how i get well you know i've been meaning to talk to you about that anyway <laughs> because you know we've done a number of meetings and podcasts where you've been quite hangry and it's been very evident <laughs> so let me eat a sandwich or something real quick. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jesus isn't going to make it for you. So, um, no. <laughs> no. But, uh, all right. So, uh, rather than continuing down any uh, weird and wonderful rabbit trails, as we are so tempted to do all the time, especially when we're yes. making especially when we're making ourselves laugh. Um, <laughs> no one else is laughing, but we are. Say, and that's what's important. We, we make ourselves laugh, and that's all. That's right. But anyway. That's right. Well, you know, it's fine. Uh, I'm not going to judge. So anyway, <laughs> so let's set up some context here for what we're looking at today. Again, looking at John chapter 6, give me some context for this. Yeah, so I mean, in the overall arc of the timeline of Jesus' earthly ministry, this is another account that just happens about that midpoint. It is about a year and a half into the ministry, so almost exactly at the midpoint. 
again, we've been seeing this a lot. Many of the accounts we're looking at happened in this window, so it's quite common for these events to happen then. But for John, for this passage, I think it is really important to understand where it fits in John's arc of him telling what he wanted to tell. What was his intention in writing his gospel, and how does this fit into that? And so many of our listeners are probably familiar with this, but some may not. Um, One of the uh, really defining marks of John's gospel is that he uses seven signs, seven attesting miracles. Um, Of course, he does not say that those were the only seven miracles Jesus performed, but he lifts these up. He identifies them for a reason. And so this miracle of Jesus uh, feeding this multitude is the fourth. It's the middle one of these seven signs. So let me just walk through them real quickly and give kind of references in case anybody wants to look into this if they're not familiar with it or wants to brush up on it. The first one was Jesus turning water to wine. You find that in John chapter 2. Then you have healing an official's son in John 4, healing the sick in John 5. This miracle of feeding the multitude at the beginning of John 6. And then a little bit later in John 6, Jesus walking on water. Then healing a man born blind, one of my favorite ones, John 9. And raising Lazarus, another of my favorites, John 11. So those are the seven attesting miracles. We'll come back to them in a little bit, but this is the fourth and middle one. So when we are looking at this this passage and this this miracle, the fourth of the seven signs, what are some questions that we should be asking ourselves as, as we are reviewing this? Yeah, I think there's some practical questions. As, you, as you're looking at this text, um, you know, there are times we, we read something in scripture and this profound spiritual question kind of raises up. And, but then there are times it's like this, this practical, why, why did that happen? And I think we see several of those in this passage. The first one you come to is in verse five, when it's recognized everybody's hungry. And Jesus tells the disciples, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Why did he ask that? And the answer is given to us right after. He asked this to test him for himself. He knew himself, rather, what he was going to do. So Jesus, of course, was that question was not a, you know, huh, I don't know. Where, where are we going to get food? Where, you know, is there a grocery store open? Um, it, was, it was asked of his disciples to test them to see if they could figure out what he was going to do. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Well, it's to gauge their spiritual growth, really. Um, he has he is, been walking with these guys for some time now. They have seen him perform miracles. They have heard his teachings. So this seems to be a way that Jesus is saying, guys, are you figuring this out? Are you figuring out that we don't have to go to a grocery store? Uh, that you're with the creator. I'm the one who created food. I created you. Um, I can feed in uh, miraculous ways as he does. So I, I, it's a really, um, it's a good reminder we'll talk about later as well in, 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 in discipling others. But it's just this, this good reminder of our need to gauge the growth of those who were discipling. 
Yeah, another question that we should be asking as well is why the leftovers? And we see that in verses 12 and 13 of the of this passage, that not only does Jesus feed this great multitude, but there's so much left over that there's 12 basketfuls left, one for each of the each of the 12, interestingly. And so there's a couple of things here that are really going on. One is that uh, this is happening to affirm that Jesus has ample power, not just not just enough to provide, but that he can provide in super abundance, if you will, that he can provide more than enough, more than what anyone would expect. But there's also just the fact that he wasn't ignoring the needs of his own disciples as well, that they were there. Chances are they were probably hungry, too especially by the end of handing everything out yeah. for for a great multitude of people remember even if it's fi- even if it were just the 5000 dudes that were there <laughs> that's going to take a long time for 12 people have you guys seen how long it do you guys remember how long it took to get communion handed out to a group of like 60 people that's a long time <laughs> or have you ever been in a in a restaurant after Sunday morning worship and, and been waiting forever. I've never been a waiter. Have you ever been a waiter? I was actually uh, before I went Were to college. You? Yeah. 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 I, that was one of the worst jobs I ever had. I can imagine because I just feel for them. It's like there are times you see they're just running around like crazy trying to serve a handful of tables. Mm-hmm. And then you imagine, as you're saying, imagine 15, 20,000 people. So yeah. yeah, they 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 were probably worn out after that. Totally. See, and I thought you were saying that that uh, you felt sorry for them, as in the customers that were at my tables. <laughs> well, I, that's that's a given. <laughs> that's fair. You know, I'll receive that. Thank you. It was a long no, I'm time sure ago. You're a good waiter. You, you you have the personality for that. You you know, you're friendly and you apologize a lot. So that's true. You, I do. Yeah. I do. I didn't yeah. make enough tips though. So. Uh, <laughs> All right, what's another question that we should be asking in this, Brian? Well, I think after this, of course, you can just imagine the people are just wowed by what they'd experienced. And so you look in verse 15, and uh, actually starting in 14, um, and the people recognize, this is when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So first of all, we see some of his um, his awareness. Uh, he, he understands that's going to happen. Um, and so he withdraws. The question is, why? Uh, why wouldn't he stay there and allow that to happen? And, and of course, the reason is because they had the wrong motives. They wanted to make him king because of what he'd just done for them. Um, it, they, hey, this guy can feed us. Um, a lot of people wonder, as Jesus was ministering, did this thought occur to the to the people in Israel? Hey, if we get this guy to march on Rome, think about what he could do with an army behind him. He can feed them. Uh, they get hurt in battle. He can heal them. <laughs> I mean, look at look at his power. Um, this guy could be unbeatable going against Rome. So they probably, in that crowd that day, their imagination was centered on politics and, and temporary physical needs. They were not coming to him to affirm him as the king of kings. 
So for this reason, he says, no, no, that's not why I'm here. And, and that's why he withdraws from them. Yeah. And then, of course, what we see in there, we see him then send his disciples off on on the Sea of Galilee. They go and they're rowing They're They're rowing out three and four miles. And we see something else very interesting happen, um, which just also happens to be the fifth of the signs in John where Jesus shows up and starts walking on water and freaks them all out um, and then says, Hey guys, I am. And then we'll get to that in a minute as well. That leads in really leads into what happened after that because after the next day people went and found him again and they were like, "Hey, you provided bread yesterday. Can you feed us again today? What do we got to do to get more of that?" And then Jesus come comes out and he just says, "I am the bread of life." He talks through this with them, saying this, he says, "No one who comes to me will will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again." And this was very confusing for people because they didn't understand this. In 36, he says, but as I told you, you've seen me and yet you don't believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then he keeps going about this. He keeps talking about being the bread of life. And he then he's like, stop grumbling and on and on and on and on it goes. And and then it gets into this whole and this is something we'll talk about another time, uh, which is him telling people eat his eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's something we'll talk about a while from a few weeks from now. <laughs> but because uh, Honestly, we don't need to talk about that right now because this podcast will be about three hours long when we do. (laughs) But um, all of this is there and it's really, really important for us because he because it goes back to that question of what does he mean by calling himself the bread of life? And so there's a few things that are happening here. One is that um, he makes this connection to manna from heaven, how God provided for the needs of the Israelites in the wilderness, that there was bread on the ground for them, this this special weird substance that snowed every night, basically. And um and they would eat it, and yes, they were sick of it. But by the by, the end of it, but um, but God always provided, and He provided enough of it for one day, except for on except for the leading up to the Sabbath, and then He gave two. And so, what Jesus is doing here is, is He's connecting Himself directly to the Father, in that He is the one who fulfills the needs the needs of His people in this same way. Um, but then He's also making this broader connection to his I am statements. And that's something that's really interesting is, is because largely we focus on seven I am statements in, in the gospels. There are a uh, gospel of John. There are actually eight because there's that one that I talked about that um, happened at the same time as his fifth, his fifth sign, but isn't counted as one of the I am statements typically, because in your translation, you'll probably notice that it says it is I. And instead, it's actually literally translated, I am. Brian, as we go back, let's go back and trace our steps through those uh, those seven signs and see that connection with those, okay? 
Yeah, so I mean, you start early on with that first sign, water to wine, and, and there's really no I am directly attributed to it. So again, when we think about this, we've, we've talked about this in other episodes, you have to remember that John writing his gospel is, is writing for a purpose. So he's going to include and exclude information for a reason. And part of good Bible study is trying to understand that reason, understand what he's saying um, in front of what he's actually saying. Um, if we just stay in the text and the words and, and kind of read it wooden and flat, we miss this. And, and again, I'm, we have to be careful. The, the word of God is inspired. It's true. Everything that John records is going to be true. It's accurate and so forth. But there's this, this intention beyond that. Mm-hmm. And so we see water to wine. And there's no recording of Jesus saying, and I am directly attributed to it. Same thing with healing an official son in John 4 and healing the sick in John 5. But then picking up and defeating the multitude, we have the I am. Walking on water, you, as you said, it's the, it is I. So it's either an eighth I am or some people prefer to continue saying, no, it's seven I am's there. And then that one is, is kind of in the ballpark. It's kind of least. a bonus. Yeah, it's kind of a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have John 9 healing a man born blind. There's an I am there. And there's an I am in the raising of Lazarus. So we have this crescendo, if you will, that builds. Um, and and there are other I am's as well. Like in John 8, there's one of my favorite ones. Um, but you have this 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 building, and it makes sense. It seems like what John is doing is early on in Jesus' early ministry, Jesus is kind of giving people a chance to kind of get familiar with him. But then as time moves on, it is more imperative that they connect, the people watching connect what they see with who he is. His time is growing short. Uh, this is not the time to be less than clear. And so it seems like Jesus later, as he goes, he's, he's more diligent, at least John's recording of this, it's more diligent to connect those. What you saw should lead you to understand my identity. Don't just watch it and stop there. Don't get fed, be really impressed by the meal you had, and come back the next day and say, I want seconds. Enjoy the meal so that you understand who I am and enjoy me. Right. That's what he's after. Right. And that's why he kept, that's why as he went on, he kept saying things like, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God wants. This is, this is the will of the father. Yeah. Is he's trying to and get that, that point across. And then I am, of course, it, it connects back to Exodus 314. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a clear connection there. It is a claim of divinity. And we can't miss that. We, we don't see it in the English. But if you go back to Exodus 3.14, when Moses is asking, hey, wait a minute, God, you're sending me back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to, let, you know, you say, let my people go. And he's going to say, well, which God? Because they have many gods there. How do I distinguish you from all the other gods? And God gives him the name Yahweh, uh, the most holy name. I am who I am. I've always existed. It's that timeless existence in mind there that is translated into English as I am. Mm-hmm. Tell him I am sent you. That is clearly what Jesus is connecting to in these I am statements. And if you doubt that, 
John 8 is the important one. That's why it's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. So John 8 is this debate between Jesus and the religious leaders, and it gets ugly. I mean, this is, at one point, they're arguing about who their fathers are and so forth, and they're, they're claiming to be <laughs> children of Abraham. And they, this is what they say to Jesus. We weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. So notice what they're accusing, you know, Mary of yep. there. Um, they were, by the way, that's proof that there was already awareness of the, the miraculous virgin birth. Yeah. Um, so that was not uh, secretive. That, that was known. So mm-hmm. they, they keep going back and forth. And then at some point near the end, so if you look in John chapter 8, um, picking up about 54 or so, Jesus says that your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so basically, notice what Jesus is saying, that Abraham saw him. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the religious leaders, thinking very literally, re- replied this way in verse 57. You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? So notice, we, we, move, we lose the, um, the how things are said, facial expressions, and so forth. But you have to think that they are kind of rolling their eyes, being really sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Get, being generous because Jesus was probably about 30. So they're giving, they're even giving him 20 years. They're like, you're not even 50. And they, so they're, they're treating Jesus as a joke here. It's really important we see that because yep. what happens next, what, what happens right after that? Jesus re- replies in verse 58, truly, I tell you before Abraham was, I am. All right. So there it is. Mm-hmm. There's the, I am. One of the most helpful things we can do when we read scripture is see how people in scripture respond. So look how people respond in verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him. Why would they stone him? Because they understood what he had just said, in their opinion, to be blasphemy. They clearly picked up his claim of divinity. Something changed from them laughing at Jesus thinking he's a joke to wanting to kill him. And the only thing that happens in between is him saying, I am. So John 8 is a really important text of affirming that Jesus' I am statements were claims of divinity. We've talked about this on other episodes, Aaron, that there are some Mm -hmm. who say Jesus never claimed to be God. He was made that by his... No, this is yet another situation where we see Jesus claimed to be God, and people in his day knew that. That's right. And folks who want to just uh, refresh themselves on that, go back and listen to last Thursday's episode, because that's what it's all about, Jesus' divinity. Um, And we even have a video about it, too. And this week, we're going to be talking about Jesus' humanity on Thursday. So there we go. Um, So we get get a a one-two punch there. But but, I mean... Providential. That's right. That's right. There is a, but there is an interesting thing here as well, because I mean, you, you talked about, and this is just a rabbit trail, but it's, it's fun because I can't not bring it up. Um, I, I love how you were, you were saying that Jesus and this, this interaction between the, the Pharisees and Jesus was getting so hot because they're both calling each other children of the devil yeah. <laughs> um, in this thing. It's like, they're like, our father's Abraham. Our father's Abraham. He's like, no, your father's the devil, dude. Yeah. And, 
And then they're like, aren't you a Samaritan and have a demon? And he's like, no. <laughs> it's this name-calling thing, it seems. like It's it's like a schoolyard playground. I know. Argument. It's amazing, though, these things that are in Scripture that it's like, one of the things that we have to do, and and I mean, this kind of leads into what do we do with this as we're as we are discipling others. So whether we're whether we're talking about you know in our own families with kids, um, it, you know online or at home or you know in a church, whatever, um, you know adults, teenagers, you name it. Um, one of the things again we want to remind people of is you can't read the Bible flat. Yeah. In Matt, like, think think about it emotively. Think about what's coming through. And I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about John 8 just now, but think about John 6 too, which is which is the primary passage that we're, we were supposed to be talking about today. Um, there is so much there that when you think about it, it's like, think about the reactions don't read them as wooden and stoic recognize the fact that when they when it says that um there is you know when when it says that um that the disciples came to him and you know they noticed that everyone was hungry um and he asked philip where will we buy where will we buy food that these people can eat Think about how he might be saying that. Think about, assume that there's probably a a leading tone in there. Again, if he is testing him, in an which is an appropriate yeah. thing to do. Again, if he's testing him, he's it's gonna come through in his tone. He's not worried. He knows what he's gonna do. Um, but then think about Philip's answer. He starts he starts talking about money and how much it's gonna cost. Um, with 200 denarii, which um, is which is basically 200 days wages, um, and he's like, we don't have that much money. We have like, we would go broke trying to feed these people, even if we could buy enough food. So think about think about the 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 sense of panic that would be that might be setting in with people recognize that these are human beings guys in other words because they are because they are and that and that helps us see a lot more of what's going on in scripture so that's that's just one thing that i would that i would encourage um as well yeah i would just add to that that you know, remember the people we're discipling are human as well. And so as we're discipling, I, I just love this tip we can pick up from Jesus and, and strive to disciple the way he did, which is always a wise <laughs> strategy to pursue. Um, but when Jesus, you know, he, he tested them for a reason. And again, it was not, we, we, not, we normally think, because we all come from school backgrounds where testing is really, it's more of to see, are we going to fail or not? You know, it's like, do you deserve to go on to the next grade or whatever? And so for us, testing usually has these negative connotations. We can't carry that over with Jesus here. It is not a negative connotation. It's a positive. He is he's giving them an, an opportunity to stretch their faith. Uh, he's gauging where they are, presumably so that he can guide them where they still need to go. And over and again, that's going to be the case. They're not generally going to do well in his testing 
again, we see it with Peter. He tested Peter several times. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Um, the denials and so forth. So we see many times where Jesus tests his disciples in this way. But don't see these tests apart from love and the purpose to grow his disciples. So carry that over to our discipleship. As you said, Aaron, whether we're discipling other adults, uh, teenagers, kids, one-on-one groups, um, are there opportunities for us to test those people we're discipling? And, and there probably are. There should be. Um, and so let's take advantage of them. Again, not not for the uh, not so that we can put our our people in a position to fail, but so that we can stretch them as Jesus stretched his disciples. So, can I get you to because uh, you said take advantage of them. Uh, okay. Let's. Let, so, can you can can you give me a? Um, uh, yeah. Where do I need the start? I mean, back up from you them. could say so. Let's take advantage of that, and then continue on with what you're, and then okay. start off what you're saying. Um, or you uh, can just say so. Let's take advantage of that, and then I can just drop it in, and um, then you can continue on. What was I saying after that? What? Um, so looking for opportunities to. Um, oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's take advantage of those opportunities that we have. Uh, God will give them to us, I believe, and so we just have to look for them and then pursue them. So again, that we can grow, help our people grow, because of course the Holy Spirit does the growing, but we can help them grow, stretch them, and and find out if they do fail, if they don't do the best. And again, it gives us an opportunity to come alongside them and help guide them and and, uh, equip them, whatever the case may be, so that they can grow in that area. So again, I... This idea of testing, I think, is helpful for us in our discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that we would want to encourage people with is is helping them to remember that as much as we need it, too, that whenever we're looking at this passage, we look at what Jesus did, that we need to remember that Jesus is what is what and who we truly need. So do we need our, our, our basic daily needs provided for? Yes, absolutely. But who is the one who does the, the providing? It's Jesus. God is doing that. God, now, God may not be doing it in the way that he did in this particular passage, um, but God is always providing for our daily needs. He's always giving us our daily bread as the as the the model of prayer um, in the Lord's Prayer gives us it, that He may be doing it through the fact that we are currently that you know for those of us who are currently employed, we have a paycheck. Um, for those of us who who are not, you know, um, it's through through different means. He's still providing. It may not always be what we want or what we're accustomed to, but he, but he is always providing all the time. And so we want a text like this to drive us deep to deeper dependence on him, knowing that that he is the one who gives us all that we need all the time in all circumstances. All right. So, Brian, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap this up for today. So. Uh, Thanks for hanging out today, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.